Today on Season 4, Episode 4 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, the NFL Draft is only eight days away and we are full steam ahead. Bryce and Ken kick things off by talking draft traditions and favorite Packers draft weekend memories. We go over some trade-up, trade-down scenarios that could make sense and some that probably won't happen. The fellas start to develop draft crushes while filling in those missing pieces on the roster. We round out the show with a little draft day movie talk. Good times. We have our first round picks on the board. Did they match yours? Listen in and find out. And now it's time for Draft Day, Part 1, on tap. This is Green Bay, Green Bay, Green Bay. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Go Pack, go! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. This is Green Bay, Green Bay, Green Bay. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for draft day part one of two. We are about a week away from the NFL draft 2021 and what a difference a year makes. Last year, we had no idea what the draft will entail. We all knew it would take place in Roger Goodell's basement. Have no fear, that will not happen this year. And we've got a clearer picture, but still, you have COVID-19 implications, players opting out, virtual pro days, so on and so forth. But I'm thrilled to present our first draft day episode in preparation of the NFL draft. We're going to be focusing on the Green Bay Packers specifically, of course. This is a Green Bay Packers podcast. And talking about trade up, trade down, Ken's take my take, and some draft day sort of traditions right off the bat. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm not flying solo. I've got Big Bad Ken with me for this week's episode. And right off the bat, what are some draft day traditions for you, Ken? Oh, man. I, so ever since, well, I guess, you know, I've always watched the whole whole draft. But now that they go to three days, like I will no matter what, watch every single pick of the first round period from start to finish. Um, I will sit down in front of the couch and, you know, four or five hours, however long it is now, I forget. <laughs> doesn't matter because I'm not moving and I'm watching everything. Day two, um, I'll definitely have it on. And I, it is still appointment viewing for me, but it may just kind of be a little interruption here, a little in- interruption there. Um, you know, with the family and things like that, but always keeping an eye on it. And day three, you know, that might be a day where might be a little bit more out and about, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely, definitely on my phone. Last year, I kind of went through way too many old fashions. Um, so by the time the Jordan Love pick came around, I was like, I was like, whoa, I like the, the shock factor went up to, you know, an 11 on that one uh, <laughs> once that settled down. I usually like to make a nice meal or do some sort of fun takeout mm-hmm. uh, as tradition because, again, I'm not moving. I'm sitting down. I'm watching the whole night one, baby. I'm the same way. Yeah, uh, night one. In years past, I, I'd get together with friends and we'd make a weekend out of it. Things have changed, obviously, now with living in a pandemic the past year. Last year, 
I just was more geeked out with the draft because we had lost sports for right. for a month or so. And for the NFL to pull off a virtual draft, it gave me hope of like, okay, at least the NFL is pushing forward and we're going to have sports. But there was a period of time where I didn't know when sports would come back. And I didn't even know if the NFL was going to have a draft, was going to have a season and then the Packers do the unthinkable and trade up and select Jordan Love. And speaking of that, it's we're a year removed from that. And man, it it seems like a lot longer than a year it? that we've been talking about Jordan Love. I'll just say that. I know it's it's wow. bizarre. And I I'll be full disclaimer, uh, full disclosure is what I was trying to say. I actually missed the pick. I had gone upstairs, gone to the bathroom, grabbed some food, and then my phone blew up. And I'm like, oh, man, this isn't good. And usually, I would say in years past, I'd still get people texting, but my phone literally blew up. 30, 40 text messages. I didn't read them. And then sure enough, found out that the Packers had traded up and selected Jordan Love. And I was just, I'd done some mock draft scenarios where the Packers we're going to take Jordan Love just because there's all this speculation, will they, won't they? And so I just wanted to see how the draft would play out in my eyes. Could the Packers still select playmakers in round two, three, and so on and so forth? Uh, it What got really interesting or intriguing for me is when the Packers selected A.J. Dillon and then Josiah DeGuara, and it just completely removed all sort of predictions I had going in. I thought they would address offensive tackle in the first round or two. I also thought that they would go wide receiver, but more round two in the same vein as what Ted Thompson would do. So I I was more enamored of like, what what do they got cooking? What are they doing? Right. And to see the 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 blowback, the pushback of why they were doing this. I'm excited to see what Gudekunst does and now his fourth draft, believe it or not. But yeah, I missed I missed the Jordan Love pick, and by by the time it had happened, I I was numb. I, I didn't really know what mm-hmm. to expect. Now we're looking back uh, a year in the rearview mirror, and it again Brian Kudekunst being very shrewd and smart. I, I, I'm really intrigued to see what he does in year four. But in terms of draft day traditions, um, I'm always usually making some sort of appetizer. When it comes to like game day traditions, I'll, I'll I'll follow whoever the Packers are playing, and I'll try to create a menu from that from that team or from that city. So I'll probably do, I don't know, the same thing maybe this year. I might, I don't know. Uh, more than likely, it'll probably be nachos and some sort of appetizer. But it's usually a full smorgasbord, and then I'm so geeked out at trade-ups and trade-downs and how the draft <laughs> unfolds and the Packers have always historically drafted later in the in in the first round and granted uh the past couple years we've been fortunate enough to see some earlier action with Gutekunst but speaking of trade-up and trade-down or staying put this is a draft day episode and I would say what has been plastered more times than not, is what will Gutekunst do in the first round? Trading up, trading down, or staying put? And you had tweeted out something 
that caught my eye. I mean, a lot of things that you tweet out always catch my eye. But this one specifically in terms of where the narrative on Gudekunst of he likes to trade up, which which is true. Uh, but his first move as general manager in the NFL draft was trading down, securing another first-round draft pick with the New Orleans Saints, and then trading up and getting Jair Alexander. 2019, they drafted 12, took Gary, which was a surprise. Now it's looking like uh, he's a budding potential superstar. Maybe that's a little wishful thinking, but you're starting to see uh, what caught Gutekunst's eye when he drafted him 12th overall, and then they traded up to get Darnell Savage, I think, with the 21st pick. And then this past year, you had uh, the Packers trading up and selecting Jordan Love with the 26th pick. And now the Packers are one of only seven teams with 10 or more picks in the 2021 draft. But the interesting thing is that even though that they have 10 picks, they don't have a lot of draft capital, which means like right. in the top 100. They currently sit at 29, 62, and 92. So in the terms of the question that you had posed that Gutekunst actually traded down his first move and then has traded up uh, several moves moving or drafts after that. What do you think, just off the top of your head right now, we're a week or so removed or uh, away from the draft. What do you think, if you were Brian Gutekunst, what would you do with with that 29th pick? If I were Brian Gutekunst, Correct. I'd move out. I'd move out of the first round. I would say that pretty much every single draft, if you are drafting kind of in the mid to late 20s or low, lower, there are usually a lot of teams who are desperate to get back into that first round to get their guy. A lot of times you see quarterbacks mm-hmm. kind of taken in that late in that late part of the first round. And that fifth-year option on a quarterback mm-hmm. is exceptionally valuable. It's valuable across the board on all players, mm-hmm. but to have a quarterback, to have one more year of control before having to you know, back the Brinks truck up, that's huge. And you can get a lot um, for trading out. I think it comes down to, you know, a lot of times... What if you're 29th, like the Packers are this year? Most teams only have 15, 18, 20. Kind of seems like the 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 max that kind of goes around the league of guys that they actually have first round grades on. Okay. And if you're picking at 29, chances are a lot of those guys are off your board, and your board might be wiped out. And it gives you more value trading back, getting an extra second round, getting an extra third round, getting more of those top 100 picks that you had mentioned, and doesn't really matter to the draft, you know, if it's a deep draft or if it's a quote unquote thin draft, if, if we're in the back half or not, not, sorry, not the back half, like the back fourth of the draft, which the Packers usually are. And that's a good problem to have mm-hmm. because that means you're winning and going to the playoffs more than likely, you know, it's just, it, the value isn't there and just getting more of those guys um, that that's going to be my answer almost every single time. So true. unless Unless there's a guy you think you, you think you uh, can't miss or you're not wrong about, but that's risky. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about Gudikans. He moved up three out of three years yep. in the first round. So far, that's looking pretty good. You know, Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, and to be determined on Jordan Love, of course, but that cost some stuff. Jair, he had to give up a third round pick. And they converted a sixth round basically into a seventh round pick for that move. Mm-hmm. Savage took two fourths yep. and Jordan Love took a fourth. So in order to make that move, man, you better be right. 
And so far, he Gudigan's doing pretty well with his move up um, in the first round, at least. Yeah, his uh, uh, believe, his first round ahead. his first round talent is off the board. Even his second round, I mean, when you're looking at Elton Jenkins too, you could consider him a first round draft pick. When you're looking yeah. back on that, didn't mean to interrupt though. No, no, I believe they moved up for Oren Burks as well yeah, in the third. You know, in the third round, so that you know, I think that took a fifth part of that move down that they had uh, with the Saints. I believe they used that to move back up to get Burks. You know, that one's kind of looking questionable at best right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, to move up in the first round is a pretty big gamble. History will always tell you that moving down is going to be the best in the long term, unless you're like damn near batting a thousand, like Brian Gudikins is so far. And the jury's out on Jordan Love, but can't be too disappointed with Savage and Jair's as big of a home run as I think you can possibly imagine. So, well done so far. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see what he does in the first round. And I was thinking about this as we were preparing our notes. And in 2018-2019, he went defense in the first round. And in 2020, he went offense in the first round, and then he went offense in his first three selections. So, granted, I I have no idea, and I'm not even going to try to convince anyone that I know what I'm talking about. This is just purely what I think might happen. And... I, I think this is a year that where Gudukans addresses offense again in the first round. Unless, like you said, where maybe there's a cornerback that's something like a Greg Newsom, the second. Maybe he's slipping into that 25, 26 range. Maybe they trade up to snag him. But personally, say what you will about Kevin King, but they signed him for that flexibility where they don't have to acquire or draft a cornerback in that range, in that first or second round. I foresee them addressing cornerback, but I foresee them addressing it later, maybe third round and beyond. I I truly believe that when you're looking at the first round and even the second round, um, wide receiver or offensive tackle, I think when you're you're looking at Aaron Rodgers and however long he's going to be here in Green Bay, if we're looking at all an all-in type of season, I know it's hard to expect a plug-and-play, especially with a wide receiver, but an offensive tackle, you can get your right tackle for the future. You can provide some depth after the departure of Brian Balaga the year before and then Corey Lindsay this year. David Bakhtiari is coming off a freak knee injury, and we don't know what his status will be like in October and November. So I, I personally believe that they go offensive tackle in that first round, and then the second round, they trade up and snag a wide receiver like uh, Rondell Moore or if Kadarius Toney is there. But then again, who knows what happens with that draft board. Um, players mm-hmm. get picked earlier than uh, than expected. Some players slip and fall. But for me, the whole storyline about cornerback Gutekunst could go out and draft a cornerback, uh, interior defensive lineman, linebacker, edge. I I wouldn't even blink an eye. But part of me just thinks that this is the year that he invests some draft capital in a wide receiver and an offensive tackle. The Packers haven't drafted a wide receiver in the first round since 2002, and they haven't drafted a wide receiver in the top 100 since 2015. I know that whoever's tuning in is like, ah, this is a fan that is just, the Packers need to draft a wide receiver or bust. Au contraire, I I don't think that. Um, And I wasn't thinking that the Packers had to draft a wide receiver last year. I thought they were going to address it at the very least. 
But this is the year that I just feel like the wide receiver class is deep. I think the top three, top four wide receivers will be gone, but that slot that you're desperately missing, that explosive uh, jigsaw type of, uh, I don't know, joystick of a of a player uh, in jet sweeps and pre-snap eye candy, all that motion, I think that you can get that in, in Tony and Rondale Moore. Uh, Rondale Moore specifically, Gutekunst has visited or his virtual pro day, not even virtual pro day, I think that they were actually in to see um, him train. So in, in years past, you've seen players that he's visited that have been connected to him that has they've ended up selecting. But then you've also had situations like in 2018 with Jair Alexander where like Jair Alexander had no idea that the Packers were interested in him. And right. so then you start to wonder, all right, the players that Gutekunst hasn't had any sort of announcements being made that they've been connected, maybe like a Kadarius Tony's a guy, but then you see him just plastered all over any Packers website, uh, Kadarius Tony's the guy, the electric playmaker, and then it makes me think uh, that's not going to happen. But I personally believe that um, the Packers stay put, and I think that they trade up in in the second round. I think that they stay put at uh, at twenty nine, and then in the second round you're looking at a trade up possibly. I can't foresee the Packers trading up in, in this year's draft, especially when they don't have that draft capital in the top 100. And if they do, maybe it's a wide receiver that's fallen. Another guy that I really like is uh, is Terrence Marshall from LSU. And when you're everyone was going gaga over Justin Jefferson last year, um, well, Marshall took over for Jefferson in the slot last year. And mm-hmm. he was the guy at LSU, racked up 23 touchdowns over 94 catches over the past two seasons. And uh, he's only 20 years old. And so he's a guy that has a long catch radius. So he's another guy that I think that the Packers could take in that 29 spot. But personally, if you're looking at um, draft capital, I think that you can get a wide receiver in the second round. I just don't know if you can get a plug and play, not a project at at offensive tackle. I'd like a polished Offensive tackle, uh, very much like what Elton Jenkins was, where sort of came in and granted, not many players are like Elton Jenkins, but I I, I don't want a project at offensive line. I would like someone to right. come in and make an immediate impact. I'm with you. You know, when I look at this roster, there are not a lot of short term holes, right? They pretty much brought the band back together. But my biggest question, and we've talked about it a few times, is who the hell is going to be starting on the offensive line? And even once Belaga comes back, who is their swing tackle? Yeah. Oh, did I say Belaga? Yeah, that that was nice wow. though. I miss him. It was nice. To, I do. It's yeah. nice to hear. Though. See, yeah, you mentioned it. And it was in my mind. Yeah, but yeah, Bakhtiari when he comes back, you know, who's our swing tackle? Who's going to step up? You know, to be that interior line, you know, coming off the bench. You're expecting there's, some there's jumps. some there's some yeah you're you're they are they are definitely as of right now expecting uh, some second year third year jumps from some of these guys, but. I think that they, to your point, I think they absolutely need some sort of plug-and-play offensive lineman. Name that jumps off the page for me as I'm starting to kind of dip my toes into in into the guys that could be available for the Packers is uh, Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma yeah. State. And he's been linked to uh, Gutekunst in his pro day. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it was uh, Zach Cruz who made the comparison online that Tevin Jenkins is Brian Bulaga mm. and we would want Brian Belaga, you know, he's based <laughs> Belaga 2.0. 
and just seems like another kind of nasty type of guy and enforcer on the line guy that plays maybe a half second past the whistle seems like he's kind of molded to be kind of that right tackle and that's what we need you know i think we've got our left tackle situation pretty locked down bakhtari's not going anywhere anytime soon but now's the year where we need to have someone like you mentioned just be able to come in and step in and be able to be relied upon this year because even in a perfect world where you have five guys who can be starters you're going to need a lot more snaps from the reserves it just happens every year and now that we have a 17th game Mm -hmm. you know offensive line is not a delicate position they get dinged and you know uh, nicked up pretty good so having someone that can come in there for me that's a big need usually when it comes to wide receivers i'm kind of passive on spending you know first round draft picks on them i'm more of kind of like eh, the dime a dozen type of mentality obviously there's special cases but generally as as a position like you can there's always guys you can get later but man, as I keep looking, Rashad Bateman, yep. Minnesota, I just like, I'm not going to say draft crush, but I'm kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of flirting a little bit. <laughs> it just it plays both outside and in the slot, which is interesting. When you look at actually the snap counts, when he came back for the short period of time this last year before opting out a second time, he was playing in the slot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a guy who can go all over this offense. Um, not quite like a Tony who can be kind of that, you know, move offensive weapon but um man just the more and more i look at him like i got like little glimpse of just the way he controlled his body like going up for catches it reminded me of jordy mm. and it was just whenever i was kind of watching little highlight films or you know little breakdown tapes i was like i just kept getting flashback vintage jordy nelson type of routes and just kind of catches and being able to come down with the ball contested the way that jordy always used to be able to do mm. And so that's that's another one I've been flirting with. I'm surprised because I know myself. I'm never, I'm always a guy who's like, I don't think they're going to go wide receiver in the first round. You can always get someone later. But that name is someone I, it's hard for me to pass up. I love it. We're going to continue talking draft crushes. We're going to talk draft day, the movie. We're going to wrap up on part one of draft day on tap in the second half. We'll be right back right after this commercial break. Go back, go. This episode is brought to you by Sonic Transformation. Check us out at www.sonictransformation.com. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined. Go, back, go! And we are back with the second half of Draft Day Part 1 on tap. And Ken, when we were prepping for this episode, you had jotted down some trade-up, trade-down scenarios. So to paint a blank canvas of what would this cost? Because we were talking about it in the first half. What would they do? And we gave our perspectives. But uh, in terms of draft costs, what are the scenarios that that you could foresee? Right. And, you know, it's one of those things because, as we mentioned, Gudekunst likes to move. He doesn't like to stay put. He's moved four times in three years (laughs) in the first round alone. So, Crazy, it's crazy to compare to like Ted Thompson, like where that never happened. Right. I mean, outside of 2017, where he traded out, right? Right, and so you kind of have to be prepared for everything. So I was just kind of playing around looking at you know what could they realistically do, you know, knowing that they pick at the back of the uh back of the each round, they've got some comp picks, but they're you know in the later rounds, one in the fourth, one in the fifth, one in the sixth. 
so they don't they're not loaded by any means in terms of draft ammunition but you know just as an example if they give up their first rounder and their second rounder they can jump from 29 to number 18 right but that's your first and second round pick you would have to be pretty in love um and that would be with miami and all these i'll just pause really quick all these are using the uh, rich hill trade model i know there's the old uh what jimmy johnson model mm-hmm. the rich hill one seems to kind of follow more, it's more modern seems to be a little bit more accurately depicts what teams are on average using again none of these models are perfect but it gives you kind of just a rough estimate if you do the first and third you're only moving up six spots with the jets if you give up a first and a fourth you're moving up to the uh, 23rd oh no i apologize the 26th pick so that's similar to what the packers did last year with their jordan love selection but the one that i'm hearing a lot that's kind of floating around twitter a lot is that the colts the colts need picks after you know giving up you know some capital for wentz and they pick number 21 and according to this chart in order to do that the packers would have to give up a third rounder and a fourth rounder to move up those eight spots um so it's it's those situations we've seen it in the past right uh good against the most he gave up was the two fourths to go up and get darnell a third and a fourth i don't know to me that seems a little a little rich i don't know rich. what your thoughts are you know looking at these you know, giving up just a first and a second, only, you know, being able to go up 18 spots. Is that something you'd be comfortable with if you were in the GM chair? I just can't see him doing that. I, I think he, I think he values the, those second round and, and the third round, the fourth rounds. It seems like funny money for Gutekunst. He just seems to throw those around. It's like a parade um, float does... candy is what I call it. You know, just handfuls <laughs> and he just throws them out to, you know, whoever. <laughs> so I could, when we were talking about trade up scenarios, I could foresee like 26 possibly given up. What did you say with the 26? They'd give up a, a, a fourth, fourth rounder. Yep. To get up to 26. It's again, I, they moved what from 30 to 26 last year uh, to go mm-hmm. up and get love. So similar on that trade scale, you know, but again, there's one pick higher with 29. And again, they do have two fourths. They've got their, they've got their pick at what? Number 90. Is it 92? Mm-hmm. It is 92. Yeah. And, the, yeah. So, and then they also have one a few picks later for their compensatory pick as well. So they have them. You know, he has an extra. And we've seen over the years that the fourth round, as you mentioned, is kind of just, you know, little add-on bonus sweeteners for these deals, it seems like. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, not to minimize it, but it just seems that he's just very willing to just give up those fourth rounders. Maybe this is the year that he bucks the trend and he keeps the fourth rounders. And I don't know. M- I just unless that twenty six spot seems like a like a sweet spot where if an offensive tackle is there that he doesn't feel like is going to slide to twenty nine, maybe a wide receiver is there. Uh, Rondale Moore is a guy that I just he he's a legit first rounder, end of the first, beginning of the second. Uh, I know last year after the draft, you can interpret this however you want to with Brian Gutekunst, where he talked about how that they were looking in the second round to trade up and, mm-hmm. and snag a couple wide receivers. And maybe maybe that's a Chase Claypool or a Michael Pittman. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming so because those are the ones that once they were gone, Gutekunst decided to stay put at that second round. So he was looking at 
a wide receiver based on what he had said. Who who knows if there's any truth to that or if it was just lip service. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I personally think that there's it's really precarious when you're looking past 2021 with this wide receiver situation. You're you're assuming that Devonte Adams gets an extension, but a third contract. He's entering that injuries. Injuries. He's entering that thirty that thirty year era. So I would like to see Adams back, but then you're also looking at um, Marcos Valdez Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown. You got L- Lazard, who I feel like a lot of people sort of are like, ah, he's old news. I mean, dude's still 25 years old. Right. I think um, has a place on this roster for sure. Um, is a part of this offense. Uh, Devin Funchess, guy that opted out last year uh, for uh, COVID. Uh, is only 26 years old, but when you're looking past this year, Gutekunst tends to he likes to stock the cupboard. Yeah, and I, I just this is the year where I feel like he and this is just conjecture, but last year they knew going into 2021 this would be another deep wide receiver class, so they went and tackled quarterback, running back, and got their H back. I don't know. I just the more we look at it, I was sort of resistant about this whole wide receiver talk. Mm-hmm. But it seems just something that where first, second round, um, interchangeable. But I, I wonder if last year's sort of experience of Gutekunst waiting to the second round to think, okay, maybe we can trade up and snag a Pittman or a Claypool, sort of traumatized him where he's <laughs> not going to make that same mistake this year. At that 29 spot. Right. Maybe he trades out to 33-34 and Kadarius Tony and, and Rondell Moore are still there. Perfect. But I can't foresee them uh, trading up a lot in the first round. I do, though, see them maybe trading up in the second round. So they stay put at 29. And then at 62, maybe they jump up to 40 or, or something of like of that nature. That is something that I could foresee. Right, right. Yeah, when you just touching on your comments about wide receiver, you know, I was in I was in the the huge minority last year, and I got hell on online for saying I would not be surprised at all if the Packers waited until day three to get a wide receiver, and I never thought that they would completely blanket the position in the draft. But now this year, it's going to be the complete opposite. If they don't get a wide receiver in the first three rounds, I would be shocked. Um, I yep. could see it in round one. I could see it round two, round three. I can see them going, you know, two of their first three picks. I could see going to that position. The only, it's funny, the only thing that would not surprise me, like as early picks, would be the, the three positions that they drafted early last year. Quarterback, running back, and tight end. Mm-hmm. Anything else really is fair game. Obviously, you know, we don't really consider special teams unless sorry, you're just not part of the conversation when it comes to you know, the first two days not of the yet. draft. Not yet. Not yet. Day three is your day, guys. <laughs> yeah, but anything else, you know, a safety and um inside linebacker, uh, another edge rusher, nothing would surprise me. But you know, last year they needed, you know, arguably they did need a little bit of wide receiver help, if not just for, you know, the short term, but also the long term. But now, like, the the, the cupboard is bare, as you mentioned. And Gutekunst mm-hmm. likes to stack that cupboard. You know, doesn't want to have to, you know, next year when he opens that up, there's literally no one there at the wide receiver position that's played a snap in the NFL. There's only one at the cornerback position. So I think they're going to, 
I hear a lot about, well, they don't need all these draft picks. They got 10, so let, let's move up at every possible spot. Mm-hmm. Next year, there's a lot of guys who are either their contracts are up or their contracts are so dangerously high against the cap that they either need to be extended or cut or traded, mm. right? And so there's a lot of this draft, you're going to see a little bit of, is there going to be some short-term help to kind of get, get us over that NFC championship hump, so to speak? But he's also got to start, you know, doing some, you know, stocking those shelves, as you say, and uh, preparing for the future because things, the way things are aligning, there's a lot of work that needs to be done for the future. And there's going to be some guys that just aren't going to be around for one reason or another. So I think that they're going to make a lot of these picks, but I think to your point, I think we can see a lot of day, day two movement where we're doing yeah. trades in the second round, jumping back up into the third round. You know, if it costs a six round pick or a fifth mm-hmm. and a sixth to, you know, do that, then so be it. But I could see I could see a lot of that day two movement uh, happening for sure. That is a scenario that I'm sort of predicting, but I'm never on point when it comes to the draft. I'm so fascinated by like the duality of it of draft and develop, but then also plug and play. So this whole tightrope of what do you do and the Packers historically are a draft and develop team whether you want to believe that or not they are still a draft and develop team under Brian Gutekunst and I don't know uh if the whole offseason of Rodgers and the precarious nature of his future and the comments and press conferences of Gutekunst and Murphy and Lafleur talking about how he's our guy I think it'd go a long way if you if you draft a dynamic playmaker in the first round. I think it would make him very happy. But then again, this year is going to be so intriguing, and we'll talk about uh, next year uh, when that comes for future Bryce and future Ken. But um, any any other draft day talks before we talk quick movie and then uh, fill in the blank? Um, you know, I've got a few trade downs too, but you know th- those. Again, it's it's so hard to predict those because there's so much movement that can happen in those, you know, by the time you get down to the second, you know, end of the second round or sorry, end of the first round. But a few that make sense, again, kind of lining things up on this chart. There's kind of three teams that they could potentially target. Uh, the New York Giants have uh, pick number 42 in the second round and pick number 76 in the third round. So those two would equal the value that the Packers have for pick number 29. But that kind of moves you down pretty far. That moves you, yeah, um, what is that? That moves you down 13 spots into you know, but into the 40s. You know, maybe if they can get a little bit extra kicker on that one. Um, Atlanta is another one where they could get number 35, so only dropping down six spots, and in a fourth rounder, number 108. So not quite that top 100, but right around that area. Uh, that's pretty even as well. So only going down six spots and picking up a fourth rounder sounds pretty good to me. And one that I that's really intriguing to me is if the Packers give up their first and their fifth, they can get a second and a third from Philly. But those are pretty nice picks. It's number 37 and 84. So going down, going down eight spots, eight spots. picking up the 84th overall, but and you're basically turning so the fifth rounder is number one seventy three. You're turning number one seventy three into eighty four. So you're basically accelerating that by ninety picks. That one, that one for me is interesting. 
Um, and mm-hmm. Philly's one of those teams. I think they've got like 11 or 12 picks in this draft. They could be looking to consolidate those and move up if necessary. So that's one to look to be on the lookout for. If uh, we don't see the Packers move up, if they're looking to go down, that's the one, you know, when I was trying to make things line up, I felt pretty good about that one. Yeah, that one's, that one's fasting. I, Wrapping up this trade, trade up, trade down, stay put talk. I mean, we'll continue this for our uh, draft day part two of two for next week as we get so close to the NFL draft. But one thing that Gudikunz talked about in 2018 when he acquired that extra first round draft pick by trading out of 14, um, going down, I think, 28 with the Saints and then trading up to 18th and getting Jair, when he talked about the first round, he gushed about the first round. And granted, all general managers love that first round draft pick. But what it stuck with me where he said that um, they're gold. They're gold. And so for me, trading out of the first round, giving up a first round draft pick, even if you want to consider that high second round, a late first, it's not a first. And so for me, the way he gushes about the first round, I just feel like some team really needs to give up a lot in order for Gutekunst to trade out of the first. I just, I think that there's something with that first round tag that really piques his curiosity, his interest. Um, So that's another thing that is in the back of my mind when I think about trading out is just how he views first round draft picks. So I just wanted to add that. Yep. Well, as we wrap up, uh, let's do some fill in the blanks and then we'll wrap up with uh, draft day, the movie. So uh, what's your fill in the blank? All right, for you, I think I've already answered this. We've already talked about this, but this is going to be for Ooh, you. An easy one. I All like right. It. So my favorite draft move by Brian Gutekind so far has been blank. So that's for you. Favorite draft move was drafting Jordan Love. <laughs> um, favorite draft move. Um, I mean, in hindsight, it's just the getting the first round draft pick and getting Jair Alexander getting a stud corner all pro. I will say in the moment, my favorite draft move is when we traded up and got Darnell Savage. Just Darnell Savage was a guy that I had researched a bunch on. I'd really fallen in love with, and I had just accepted the fact that the Packers weren't going to draft him. And then the Packers traded up and drafted him. And I just remember losing my freaking mind when the Packers traded up drafted Darnell Savage, and then you got to see the highlight reel of just Thumper, this highly energetic, athletic freak all over the field. So I would say favorite memory was trading up just because I couldn't believe that they took Darnell Savage, and I was so in love, and I still am in was love. He your, was he your number Nacho one Man. draft crush that year? Was he was he the guy that you're, you know, as we transition into you know, talking about draft day movie, was he your, you know, no matter what guy that you're hoping for that draft was Darnell Savage? I just didn't think that the Packers could – I didn't know that they were going um, – I mean, I thought that he'd be there at the end of the second round or end of the first round. But then you got talks about him being a top 15 pick. Right. And you're like, oh, boy, the Packers have to take him. Um, that year in 2019, that was Brian Burns. Brian Burns was mm-hmm. my uh, my draft crush. And I was also a really big fan of uh, Noah Font as well. Uh, I really – but I would say Font or Burns – Savage and Font were my draft crushes in 2019. 2018, I didn't think Derwin James was going to be there, but Marcus Davenport was was my crush. I was really enamored with him. 
And then uh, last year uh, was Henry Ruggs was my draft crush. Gotcha. Yeah, Davenport. He was so divisive um, and from yeah, the fan base. Right. And it's crazy that that turned out to be the pick that that was, you know, what are the chances? The prize, I should say, for the Saints yeah. to for that big pick for you know trading down, but hell, that turned into uh, Jair and Darnell. So you yeah, know, no hindsight. It's I'll, I'm I'm liking what the Packers did there for sure. That was a ha ha Clinton Dix and the what 14th overall pick for Jair Alexander and um, Darnell Savage. So yeah. uh, I'll take that. Well, I've got my draft question for you let's go so you kind of highlighted it a little bit already but speaking of draft crushes who is your no matter what guy this year all right i don't have a no matter what as of yet as of recording if i were to have to narrow it down um i talked about him a little bit um i like rashad bateman wide receiver mm-hmm. i like uh tevin jenkins tackle uh, Christian Bearmore, uh, defensive oh, lineman. Yeah. Bama. That's going to be tough because there's not a lot of defensive linemen in this draft, and he's a really good one. So he might get picked way before the Packers have an opportunity to. But if he falls, man, I it'd be really tough to give that up. I like Greg Newsom. Obviously, a lot of cornerback talk. You're going to hear that <laughs> a lot of a lot of quarterback cornerbacks names that are going to be potential availability, but. He just something about him and his game uh, just kind of jumps off when I when I look at him and watch him. It would be really fun to see him next to Jair. Mm-hmm. And a total and he's oh go ahead oh he's accustomed to cold weather playing in Northwestern too. absolutely he's elite speed too. Mm-hmm. And like my wild card one that's I would it probably have to be a trade down scenario because it might be a little too rich at twenty nine. But I'm not a draft expert, so I don't know you know where they would have him. But it'd be uh, Javon Holland, uh, safety. Oh, dude, are you serious from Oregon? Yeah, baby. That dude, I have him on my notes. I can't believe you. Can't yeah, believe he that. just like a weapon uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, put him anywhere, and mm-hmm. in this new scheme where versatile players playing on the back end seem to come at a premium, it just seems like that could be tailor made for this for this defense especially when you're looking at 2022 with Amos and what that entails. Mm-hmm. And um, Gutekunst has actually been tied to uh, Javon Holland as well. He was right. there at his pro day. And when you're looking at that relative athletic score where Gutekunst has drafted out of the 25 that are eligible for the Raz, he's um, drafted 21 out of those 25 with an eight or high or eight or better score. And Javon Holland is at a nine five four. Um, I'm so pumped that you mentioned him. Yeah, he's another. He's fun to watch on tape. And oh man, with Savage and Jair, uh, Swag Brothers. Right. Yeah. So those are my. Those are like the ones that are the leaders in the clubhouse right now. So I dig it. I don't know who will be my no matter what that I'll write down in my what yellow post-it <laughs> note, but it, it'll probably be one of those five. Well, speaking of, and uh, as we wrap up draft day part one. On tap. We'll talk about this as we wrap up draft day part two next week as we all prepare for the NFL draft. But uh, speaking of draft day, the movie, that is a very polarizing movie. Oh, yeah. It's very near and dear to my heart. What are your thoughts of draft day, the movie? It's it's fun, right? And if, <laughs> like, 
people don't need to take it seriously. Uh, the, know, the, the trades right? are ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I want, uh, I want, you know, three first rounders for, you know, and then I'm going to trade three second rounders and leverage those into three first rounders. It's, it's total ridiculousness, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, if you want to watch them, <laughs> there aren't many movies that are made about the NFL front office. And if, uh, for for me, it's it's an annual tradition. I will absolutely watch it between now and the NFL draft, and sure. usually sometime in like I don't know February. I'll you know if I'm flipping through the channels and it's on, I will absolutely stop and watch it start to finish at some point. So it's usually in in this household, it's a it's a twice a year viewing. But again, it's it's not a documentary by any means. <laughs> no, I mean just. I get a kick out. People are like, you like draft day? I'm like, yeah, I actually really enjoy draft day. Kevin Costner and sports movies, uh, it's like Oreos and milk. Like, it's just one of those things That's where awesome. um, he, he's wonderful in those sports movies. And uh, the whole, like, quarterback controversy, the Cleveland Browns, yeah. and the post-it note, Callahan from, from Madison. Oh, Callahan. The UW, uh, the, the UW uh, reference as well, mm-hmm. and calling in because uh, – no one came to his birthday party. I'd go to your birthday party, Bryce. I'd go to your birthday party too. And on that note, that's what we wrap up with Draft Day Part 1 on tap. A blast talking draft with you, Ken, as always. And looking forward next week as we wrap up our two-part draft series. Any last words before we bid adieu? No, man. No, man. Uh, I just keep thinking about that Bo Callahan not going to the birthday party. I got this big smile on my face. <laughs> Well, until next week, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. I am Bryce Christensen. And I'm Ken Ingalls. And this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers Podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation. Your sound refined.